1: It's another episode of the Equalizer podcast, April 2020, getting set to come to an end. And unfortunately, with the end of April, there's still no beginning in sight of a 2020 NWSL season. As we are still in the grips of the coronavirus pandemic officially, training moratorium in the NWSL is on through May 15th. We all expected to go a lot farther than that. And the commissioner, Lisa Baird, already on record as saying there will not be NWSL soccer Regular season variety until at least the end of June. My name is Dan Lalletta. I've got John Haller and Chelsea Bush along with me for another podcast. And last week we did what hopefully you enjoyed some of our most memorable moments ever in women's soccer. Today, well, how about some of the wackiest, some of the weirdest, some of the most unusual moments that we've encountered in our lives covering and watching? Women's soccer and let's get right to it. We're going to let John kick us off today. John, how are you? And go for it with uh, one of your first ones.
0: I'm good. Uh, so my first uh, choice on my list of five here is December 2015. The U.S. women's national team canceling their game in Hawaii. Um, I don't know how much everybody remembers about this, but this was, uh, I think a day or two after Megan Rapino had torn her ACL at a team practice. And then when they went to the stadium uh, for the walkthrough, the turf was in such dire conditions that uh, some of the players, uh, most notably Hope Solo, had taken pictures of the turf. There were areas, uh, seams, that were literally able to be pulled up. And shortly thereafter, uh, the game was canceled, and this was in the midst of the celebration or uh, victory tour celebration, and uh, there were, I think, eight of the ten games were on turf of that, and uh, they ended up having to cancel this game, which was only a couple of days before it was scheduled to be played.
1: Was that before or after the Abbey game?
0: Uh, I think the Abbey game was the very last one, right? So that was the New Orleans game. Did she yes. play to the end? Because like, a couple
2: of yeah, other was, players
1: staggered out.
2: No, Abby's was the last one of the year. I'm, I'm almost positive.
1: Yeah. yeah, Abby stayed on for all of them. Because the Abby game stands out to me because of just how truly bizarre that game was when they just kept trying to feed the ball to Abbey. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that ended like an incredibly long streak of not losing right. at home. But the funny thing about that game in Hawaii was that that was on the heels of the World Cup having been played. On artificial turf. Yeah. Everyone making a big deal about it. And basically, you know, they didn't win the, they didn't win that battle, but they won the war because that's when FIFA said we'll never play another Women's World Cup on anything but regular grass. And then to have that happen in Hawaii was pretty surreal.
0: And it was following the lawsuit that had occurred, uh, trying to get the, the game, the games of the World Cup games to be moved off the turf and onto grass.
1: Yep. Yeah. I also kind of, I mean, that, then victory tour also got a little bit tiresome, didn't it? Ten games.
0: Well, I think that's why we saw it pared down in 2019.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. But didn't we, because Box retired too, but she left at some point along the, the way, right? And, and Lauren yeah. Holiday yeah. also.
2: And Lori Klutny, I think we're all like we're lovely, in the right. middle of the, the, the victory tour.
0: And I thought Holiday maybe left a little bit early too.
1: Uh, yeah, I think she did. Yeah. I think the last game was only Abby in terms of, you know, the players who were officially retiring at that point.
2: Yeah, because didn't all the players who'd officially retired had kind of stopped playing several games ago, and I think, didn't they all actually though come to that game for Abby, even though they, they weren't playing That's at that point?
1: Possibly correct, I don't, I don't recall. I know that I was, I had, you didn't recall something? You know, this, I'm a league guy, more than a national team guy, but December is my month with, is like my Woso fatigue month. Like I don't need the national team to play in December. You know, a a league trade is fine, but there's enough other things going on in December. That's the month I want to turn my Woso brain off. I don't need, I don't need a ninth and tenth national team victory tour match in December. So there's that. All right. Let me go to one. Um, and like I said, I'm a league guy, so let's go to, 2014 your field and i've actually got two that both happened in 2014 but one of them there was a sky blue houston dash game it was july i wasn't feeling great on this particular night and your is one of those places that has the lightning detector so you can get a delay at Yersak Field, and look up, and it doesn't even look like it's going to rain. But if there's a lightning strike within, I don't know what the number is, X number of miles, the detector goes off, and you have to wait, I think it's 20 minutes from the last lightning strike. So the game got delayed. There was basically no rain. And if there was rain, it had stopped. And the game was supposed to start at 7, and then it was 8 and then it was 9, and then we had a couple of guys came out and were running around on the field, and they got kicked out of the stadium. And then around 10 o'clock or 9.30, 10 o'clock, a couple of us actually left and went to go get sandwiches because, you know, the food service at Yersac was a little bit less than ideal. And uh, <clears throat> ironically, we were on the way to get sandwiches, and I was riding in the back of the car, um, with one of the game day volunteers, and I remember asking her, you know, because she had on the sky blue shirt, did anybody ever stop her because she was wearing, you know, the sky blue shirt, did anybody ever comment on that? And she basically said no. Sure enough, we get in the sandwich place, and instantly there are two guys go over, and they talk to her, and it turned out to be the two guys that have been kicked out of the stadium for running around on the field. Finally, we get to about 11 p.m., and that's when you're thinking, like, do we really want, like, do we want to play this game or do we want to just go home? And they finally called the game at about 11 p.m. Never, never kicked the ball. They wound up replaying that game the Wednesday after the season ended because I think they were going to cancel it, but Sky Blue got on a roll at the end of that season and there was this bizarre mathematical chance that they could get in the playoffs. Turned out they were eliminated by the time they played that game. Uh, but they did put it back on the schedule. Sky Blue won it, and it cost themselves the number one pick because they had the Breakers' number one pick. So by winning, they kept the dash in last place. Had they lost, the Breakers would have dropped down, and that was the Morgan Bryan draft. Uh, and I'm babbling now, so why don't you guys take it away and give me something else.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. It just cracked me up. <laughs>
1: You're laughing because I got stuck at your sack for four hours and didn't have a game?
2: No, I'm just laughing at how you ended that, that whole spiel. I think I've heard the story before from you, so it's just the way you, you ended it.
1: There was another one, by the way, in WPS where they started a game against the Philadelphia Independents, and then it started to rain, and then they finally picked up the game, and Paul Riley said, we could have gone out and played the Gold Pride in California in the time and during the rain delay, and that <laughs> night I actually had to drive off the parkway through trees to get onto a side road because it the- Parkway was fluttered. It took me five hours to get home. Usually takes about 90 minutes. So maybe I should have put that one in instead. All right. I'm done now. Go on.
2: Okay. Uh, I will I will continue with the the rain theme. Um, we'll throw it back to the last NWSL season, which was only last year, less than a year ago. It just feels like a whole lot longer. And the hour-long weather delay in the Orlando-Portland game that started – like three minutes into stoppage time with like a minute left. And I hope you guys are, everyone remembers the game I'm talking about. Yep. The, the thorns are up by two and listen, I, I get it. Like, I, I get you, you've got to finish the team, the game. I suppose there is a universe out there where the, the pride could have scored two or even three goals in about the 90 seconds that they came out to play. Uh, They did not spoiler alert. And it was just so wild to me that like, you couldn't, listen, the game was over. You couldn't have just said, you know what, we, we don't need another 90 seconds of stoppage time. This is ridiculous. I thought that was just utterly nuts.
1: Yeah, I remember that well. Um, I I think I was on a different game that night and was a little bit confused as to what in the world was going on. And they had to do like a full warm-up, right, because they were out long enough, whatever the time is that they had to actually warm up.
2: I think they were out for like an hour. Like it was, it was a long time.
1: So, yeah, yeah. I, I always felt like that was kind of on Orlando to maybe be like, you know what, maybe we can go home now. Because a one-goal game, I can understand it. Two-goal game, I think you have to say, you know what, I think we're good.
2: That's- I, I mean, I, I can see it from both sides. I just, it, I feel like somebody that wasn't on either team should have made that call. But I guess then we'd be complaining about them handing. A victory. I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a, a good answer for that, but it was it was crazy.
1: Well, you know, there was a World Cup game. It might have been Germany Thailand in 15 when they called it with no stoppage time in the second half. It was like 10 nothing or something like that. And I kind of said, you know, I don't love not playing out the stoppage time because goal difference it matters. So even if it's a ridiculous score, like all that time actually matters. So that's one am- angle of it, but. The, for the chances of goal difference mattering in an NWSL playoff race is slim. I don't know. I, I feel like they should have maybe not gone on and, and put everybody through that. John, you're up. All right. Uh, so hopefully I explained this
0: one well because, it, it, I don't know, it, it seems like it might be a bit confusing. But uh, this is July 8th, 2016. I uh, was covering the U.S.-South Africa game in uh, downtown Chicago. And if you don't know downtown Chicago, the commuter trains drop off um, right in the heart of the city, which is about two miles from Soldier Field. So depending on the weather and if I'm in a rush or not, sometimes I'll walk to or, or, or back from the stadium and sometimes I'll grab a cab or an Uber or whatever. Um, but on this particular day, this was the day before the first of the two Olympic send-off matches. And after the match day minus one, uh, open practice press conference, I decided that I was going to walk back to the train station. And so this is a two mile walk. So, it, you know, it takes about 40 minutes and I'm walking back and I'm downtown and I walked past the South Africa bus. And it was all loaded up. All the players were on there. They were obviously getting ready to drive over to the stadium for their practice, which was after the the U.S. practice. And then I walked like two or three more blocks, and I see a player in a South Africa uh, warm up who clearly is lost and doesn't know where the bus was you know, loading up to get them to practice. Now, this is, you know, a good five minutes or so after I walk past the bus. So I'm pretty sure by this point, the bus has already left for the stadium. Um, and then I see this player kind of looking from side to side in the intersection, and then she makes a decision on which direction to go and then just starts running down the sidewalk downtown, you know, with her, her backpack on. Um, and I, I would bet you that she missed practice that day uh, <laughs> and it's it's i won't i won't call her out but it's a player that uh
1: that a lot of us are familiar with that doesn't leave too many uh names yeah, out there. so but. let's just leave it there oh. <laughs> and you were not able to intercede at all and, and offer any help there she
0: she was gone i think by the time i would have gotten close enough but i just it was such a weird confluence of events you know to just notice the bus. So what, like you see buses around, you know, training environments and whatnot, but then two or three blocks later, like she she had obviously gone to get a coffee or maybe some breakfast or, or had been walking around the city sightseeing before practice, you know, cause this was mid afternoon and then had gotten lost, which can happen. It's very difficult. You know, if you don't know the city, everything kind of looks the same. And, uh, Clearly had no idea where she was going or how to get back to, to the bus to make her practice.
2: Did, did she head in, do you think, in the right direction?
0: Yes, but again, it was about five minutes later when I spotted her, so I, I would not be shocked if the bus had left.
1: Oh, no. Did she play in the game? <laughs> yes. Okay, so no punishment then. Yeah. For that. I, I feel least, like she got her
2: high. exercise in. At least. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: She may have run to the stadium, which you can do. It's but it's a good two miles. I feel like
1: every team has a story like that if you can dig it out. That's well, didn't enough.
2: the U.S. bus break down at one point years ago on the way to somewhere, and they had to like hitch rides? It's like there's one of those.
0: Oh, Jeff wrote that a piece on sounds Maui. familiar. Um, I can't pronounce it. Doughtyane, Doughtyane. She yes, yes, they had Abby to do Uber. They had to do Ubers, I think. Right, a flight got canceled or something.
1: Well, I'm actually, I my next one actually will involve a little bit of an after-the-fact travel snafu. Um, so I'll go to 2014 again, Yersak Field, and it was Sky Blue, ironically enough, against Seattle Rain FC. And I arrived at the stadium, and it was torrentially downpouring. And, you know, you can say all the time, well, it's pouring rain outside, but I mean torrentially downpouring, like where if you walk five feet, you are, Soaked from head to toe. And I know that you guys both made every effort possible to come to a game at your sack but still never made it. So you're not familiar with the press <laughs> facilities at your sack. but it's basically a long row of seats and not that much space behind you. Like if you kick your chair out hard enough, not that we got chairs that roll back, but if you kicked your chair out hard enough, you could hit the back wall. The entire warm-up and game was played in these conditions. I'm not even sure they did the, the formal lineup and, and player introductions. I mean, it absolutely poured from start to finish in this game. This was during the Reigns' unbeaten run. I want to say they were 5 or 6-0 and oh at the time in 2014. Remember, they were bad the year before, did all kinds of things to the roster. The first goal they scored, uh, Jill Loyden had ball in hand, put it down, and it slipped and Naho Kawasumi was right there and literally tapped it in from about three yards out. And Rain eventually won the game 2 nothing. The game ended, and everybody was off the field in about 10 seconds. So we went downstairs, and we were waiting outside the sky-blue locker room to see if anybody would come out and talk, or, or if, if at least Jim Gabara would come out and talk. And, I mean, the rain was hitting my face. It it was about as uncomfortable as I've ever been due to weather. I waited about a minute and a half, and I said, no, I'm not waiting anymore. Got in the car, drove far. I mean, it literally never stopped being torrential. But the interesting things here is that there was a Japanese camera crew that had come into town because of Naho, and they didn't want to be outside either, so they were all just standing behind us. So everybody had, like, their own personal member of this camera crew behind them. And, you know, photographers come in, and they've got their huge cameras and big bags and everything, and they were kind of just standing over us. And we really, you know, they didn't speak any English, so we really couldn't talk to them. And it was was quite a scene. I eventually spoke to both coaches the next day, and Gabara famously told me, like, yeah, I was dressed properly. I was fine. It wasn't that bad. Of course, he was also sitting underneath the covering in the dugout. But the rain actually went from there to play the spirit and they decided to fly instead of take a bus to save a little time because they had been on the road a bunch, and their flight got delayed, and they wound up in the airport for, like, four times longer than it would have taken them just to get on a bus and get down to Washington. Uh, but that is that is certainly a game that I will never forget, and it's just proof that, you know, the lightning is one thing, but it can rain pretty hard. As long as the field drains well, um, you know, you can play soccer, but that was not a... That, was, that is not an experience that I would want to relive, and I can't even imagine having played in that game.
2: So, Dan, would you say that you could even play soccer in, I don't know, a hurricane if the field was draining?
1: <laughs> well, you know, you never know. You might, you might be able to.
2: I guess we'll never find out.
1: You know, I'll tell you something about that field draining is that when we do the games, when we broadcast the games in Florida, we're actually, um, we get like when the game's not like basically we see what you guys see, but we also get the raw footage and we were actually, um, the game last year, it got postponed, courage and spirit, I think. We were actually just basically looking at the field and we were, and it was pouring, down pouring and the field was covered in puddles. And, uh, like half an hour after the rain stopped, we looked at the field and the field was great. We were like, you know what? There's pretty good drainage on this field. And of course, you're talking about the, uh, Salem Stadium field in North Carolina there. I the uh, hurricane. All right, let's uh, let's let's dip, step out for a moment. We'll come back. Back on the Equalizer podcast with a reminder to please check us out on the web at equalizersoccer.com and for premium content equalizersoccer.com/subscribe. Working as hard as we can to try to continue bringing you the best content around the world of women's soccer even as the NWSL is on pause and the national team as well. We're recapping some of the uh, wildest and weirdest moments we've had in women's soccer, Dan and Chelsea and John apparently pulled up footage of that sky blue rain game on break. What do you got for us? Yeah, I was just saying, it's
0: amazing. You can actually see the rain on the broadcast, which usually you can't do. Like you, if if you're in a stadium, it always, you can tell the rain is much harder than it appears on TV. This is pretty brutal. And, uh, that moment you were mentioning, uh, Loyden went to clear the ball and touched her toe, just touched the ball on her plant foot, which pushed the ball out of her striking leg. So then she whiffed on it, and that's when when um, they came in and scored that goal.
1: And I'm telling you, it literally stayed at that level of rain the entire time yeah, I was there, at your side. There are
0: right. raindrops on the camera
1: lens. Yeah, like, it was.
0: There are areas of the broadcast you can't you can't see.
1: Yep. All right, Chelsea, do you have another one for us?
2: Yeah, this one is maybe a little bit off-brand, but it's more of something that would just go on like a Woso Booper blooper reel, but I feel like it kind of just sums up how everyone feels right now after being stuck in their houses for a while. So it is during the uh, 2016 Rio Olympics um, when – The Australian team when Elise Kellan, Helen, Lisa, handed Lisa Devana that water bottle and she tried (laughs) to drink it backwards. I, I, hands down has always (laughs) been one of my favorite moments and I just, I feel like it's, it's wacky and I, I feel like that a lot these days. So I thought I'd throw it on here.
1: Now do you remember that as it happened or is that just from the Twitter meme?
2: Oh, from the meme. I don't even know if I I saw it in, in real time. I don't recall, but the meme is, is right there on my very, my top top gifts to use.
1: Because then Kellen Knight, like, reverses it on she her, did. right? She did.
2: She, she grabbed it, it and fixed it for her. Davana had no clue what was she... She was hold, goes to hold it up to her mouth, and it's it's backwards.
1: And, and the it's amount just of...
2: So, so simple. Kellen Knight just doesn't even think, think about it. just reaches out and turns it around.
1: But she did it in a way as if you would have thought that Davana was about to, like, detonate a grenade in her hand. Like, she, like there was so <laughs> much alarm in her reaction to her possibly... Breaking out of the wrong end of the water bottle.
2: <laughs> I mean, I also feel like it just sums up how exhausted they can get during games sometimes, and go for the wrong end.
1: I'll give you a little Davanna follow-up. In 2013, I had the privilege of being the quote-unquote sideline guy for Sky Blue broadcast, so I would like roam on the sideline, and Gabara and Davanna would go at it from the bench to the field. And Davanna, she would the first half of that season, she was spectacular. Slow down a little bit, second half. But she very rarely played 90 minutes, and there was one game that she was in, she kept looking over to Gabara, like asking to come out. And at one point, he just finally said, look, go score a goal, and I'll take you out. Didn't happen, but I thought that was a funny interaction. All right, my turn, I suppose. Let's go to the 2016 NWSL draft. And there was a good bit of uncertainty about what would happen. I think at the top of that draft, that was Emily Sonnet went number one. Portland went into the, not, I think the morning of the draft, they traded the number two pick to Sky Blue. Or maybe they, maybe I'm confused about that, but there was a trade with the number two pick in there. Anyway, yeah, they traded the number two pick and Sky Blue took Raquel Rodriguez. But about five minutes before the draft, uh, the head of league communications wanders over and says, just so everybody knows, we have an announcement coming up at 9 o'clock. So, okay, announcement coming up at 9 o'clock. Who knows? Maybe they're announcing home openers or, I don't know, whatever, some league hire. Who knows? Turns out they are announcing right at the start of the draft that there is a new rule being put in place called the distribution ranking order in which brand-new players coming into the league – We'll, be, we'll go through this distribution ranking thing and allocation process. And, oh, by the way, Portland has traded the number three pick to the Boston Breakers in exchange for the top selection in this allocation ranking order. So five minutes before the draft, they put in this brand new rule. Portland makes a trade to go to the top of that uh, order for this new rule that comes into place. And, It was truly bizarre because what sports league puts in a new rule right at the top of their draft, and it's just kind of the way that league has operated over the years. And uh, you know, the rule was obviously put in place so Portland could get Mallory Pugh, who was was it? Might have John? Were you at? Was that the draft you were at? Yeah. Was it by the end of that day that there were reports that Pugh was not going to go to college? It was before. It was. I thought
0: it was Charlie Bohm who broke maybe, she definitely broken, maybe an hour before the draft. Cause I remember I was walking into the hall after breakfast and you know, just scanning through my Twitter feed and I remembered seeing it and I was like, Oh my
1: God. So, and yeah. then she wound up going to UCLA, even though she never actually played in a, right. in a sanctioned D1 match for UCLA and then came out and then Washington had that pick at the top of the distribution regular and didn't move it, and Portland wanted it, and Washington wouldn't do it. So I kind of do get frustrated when I hear people say that Portland always gets their way because they don't. I mean, they traded that number three pick literally for nothing, yeah. and the spirit held firm and wouldn't let uh, you know the Thorns get their hands on Pew when she did come out a year later. But just to put that rule in and the way it all went down, like nobody had any idea. That that was coming, and I also I stand to this day on the fact that the Breakers used that three pick on Kristen Westfall. If that player turned into a star, then that I think that trade would be more remembered as a pick that Portland gave up for nothing.
2: Yeah, you know, see, I, I think that the the most bizarre of it all is the fact that it ends up being all for nothing. It, oh yeah, and she decided not to go, so they they made this trade. That they got absolutely nothing out of. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, Boston folded and Westfall went to uh, Seattle.
1: And she pretty much is the only player that's ever come into the league through that method, right?
2: Mm, Yeah, as far as I can think of.
1: So, and I mean, and they, you know, occasionally you still hear, although not in a while, but there have been other trades made, right? Because Washington jumped up the line twice, right? They moved up when they traded Krieger.
2: They got Krieger we, to get the two spot, I think.
1: Right, and they made a trade with Boston to get up to one.
2: Yeah, which okay. was interesting because I feel like at that time that nobody knew Pew was going to leave UCLA so quickly.
1: I wish they had even started. I mean, by figure, she'll at least play her freshman year.
2: Yeah, so they really made that, I mean, it, on what, we hoping a prayer? I don't know.
1: All right, well that's my that's my next one. Um, I don't know if we all have a full five here. I have four definitives, so yeah, I really I, only have
2: one one good one left.
1: I got five and a whole bunch of
0: honorable mentions. So go ahead, John. Let me take one here. Um, July 9th, twenty sixteen, Western New York Flash playing a game on a baseball field that was maybe fifty yards wide. Oh, that game. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, they had gotten moved off their home field because of a 90s throwback concert featuring TLC. <laughs> and so they had to go somewhere down the road to play. And I just remember um because I used to have to line my own fields when I coached and I know that the the width across the box is 44 yards and I remember seeing the photos that were taken of that game where the touch line is about two strides from the 18 and it was obviously optically very bad it it became very embarrassing for the league when A bunch of players, I think Rapino, Alex Morgan, and there might have even been one more called the league out publicly for it. And it kind of became national news. It was, it's one of those things we like to complain about too, where like the only time, you know, the mainstream sports publications pick up on NWSL news is when it's something embarrassing, but it was embarrassing. It was, it was a game that should not have been played on that field. And it, uh, certainly, you know, made it look like, and if not in reality, a very amateurish uh, game.
1: There was a Sky Blue game that night, too, because I remember somebody pulled up a picture of it, and I kind of dismissed it because, you know, everyone likes to complain about stuff. And I'm like, all right, the field is narrow. All right, so fine, it's a narrow field for one game. And then after when the game ended, I actually looked at it, and I was like, wow. And then I went back and watched it, and I remember thinking that the ball kids were in the game because the touchline was so close to to where the ball was. Yeah, the fiasco at Frontier is what I have called that, Frontier Stadium in Rochester. Yeah. Memorable one for sure. And you know what? That game was the tipping point for the – I think we talked about this last week, anyway, for the Flash being in the playoffs. Because if the rain beat them, they would have been in. You know, all other things being equal anyway. But yeah, not a not a great moment uh for the league, that's for sure. Um, I got another couple of things from the twenty ten draft. These are just kind of random things thrown out there. Um, but two things from that draft. First of all, that's still the best draft of all time. One, two, three, four picks all went to the twenty fifteen World Cup. That was Tobin Heath, uh Lauren Cheney, it became Lauren Holiday. Um, Kelly O'Hara and Whitney Engen Ashlyn Harris was also In that draft went to the World Cup uh, Alyssa Nair was in that Draft went to the World Cup in 2015 But that was when The draft was seven rounds And it was a long Day and there had been a Player uh, Shaniqua Gordon had been drafted And you know by the time The first couple of rounds were done you know Very few players were present so you know They're just calling out names and then like a round and a half later, they called out Shamiqua Gordon, and we were all like, um, she already got picked. And, you know, we were kind of trying to subtle, trying to subtly, like, alert the league people that they had already been picked. Well, it turns out there was a Shaniqua and a Shamiqua. One with an N, one with an M. They were twins. And they actually both did get picked. And I think one of them wound up playing a few games in Atlanta, and the other one didn't. Uh, and then the other thing, Danny Collins also got picked in that draft. But what was ironic was that Danny Collins was actually working as a uh, communications assistant for the Philadelphia independents. And then toward the end of the draft, they drafted her. So we're in the back, and all of a sudden there's this big eruption. And it was Danny Collins who, like five minutes earlier, and, you know, I mean, I, did, I don't know enough about college soccer to have known who she was, Five minutes earlier, she, you know, we were talking to her about independence draft picks. The next thing you know, she's cheering and everything else. And then we're interviewing her because she got picked. Uh, I don't think she ever played, but did make it into preseason. Um, and that's the first draft that I went to in any of the leagues. And it was quite a memorable, quite a memorable day. Might have also been the first time I had an extended conversation with the esteemed Jeff Kasouf at that draft. So there's a third memory from that day.
2: Is that you going to file that one as bizarre too?
1: Um, I think I should. Yeah. What do you think?
2: (laughs) I no comment. I was I wasn't there.
1: (laughs) So that's it. Twenty ten draft, not that inspiring. So take it away, somebody else.
2: All right, I'll I'll kind of wrap up mine. Um, I kind of have two, but but it's the same sort of thing. So I kind of put them together. Two thousand eighteen, rain are playing at Utah it's towards the end of the game, Megan Rapino and Becca Moros get into a little bit of a tussle over the ball. Rapino goes down claiming she got, she got kind of hit in the ankle. Uh, Moros is, is a little bit baffled by the call and just very dramatically. while while Rapino is still on the ground, just throws herself to the ground and in a very exaggerated <laughs> dive. And, and the camera happened to be right, right, right there, instantly viral. Um, and I mean, for what it's worth, I think she got carted and I think the rain went on to win that game. So who got the last lap there? But I just thought it, 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 it was funny. It was it was probably accurate and it was also probably a, a little bit of commentary on the, the quality of officiating in this league, which can get uh, bizarre sometimes occasionally. And then later on that year in the championship game, uh, Crystal Dunn sort of did the same thing to Megan Klingenberg. Um, threw herself on the ground, claiming that that Klingenberg had been diving on that game. Of course, Dunn got the last laugh as, as they won. But I, I do love it when pe- people get called out for diving, and and those two when they, they were just so very exaggerated and obvious, and just hurling themselves to the ground. I thought was just too funny, instantly viral, viral, very memorable gifts. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with that one. John, I feel
0: like you're the... Yeah, I got two left here. I don't know. Dan, did you have any more? I've mm-hmm. got one small one that I'm... Oh, do you want to I sandwich them probably... then? Here, I'll, uh, I'll go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go and ahead. Go. Uh, the, my fourth one is October 9th, 2016. And this was the game in which Sabrina D'Angelo won the finals MVP award, uh, after saving three penalties in the shootout to help Western New York flash to the championship. And then as she was walking into the press room to do the post-match conference, she dropped the MVP trophy uh, <laughs> as she walked in. So it, I thought it was a bit ironic, obviously, a goalkeeper being awarded for the quality of their hands in the shootout and then uh, dropping it on the floor that, as she
1: walked That in. was the same press conference. Um, Abby Erseg was in that press conference? And I asked her about a conversation she had had with Paul Riley at the start of the season, and uh, it turned out that it was really with Abby Dahlkemper. So, oh, nice embarrassing moment for me there. (laughs) Yeah. All right. um, This I'm not. I was uncertain about bringing this one up, but I feel like we kind of have to. Um, You know, after the Sky Blue stuff that went on a few years ago, and I'll tell you what. You know, being at the game when Sam Kerr scored the hat-trick and then went off about, you know, the girls here deserve better, which led to, you know, stories that came out that, John, you and I worked on together a little bit about their yeah. conditions um, at Sky Blue. But, you know, at the following year's draft, there was a question that was posed uh, to Amanda Duffy about whether there were standards for the teams. And, and her answer was, yes, we have those. And... You know, I don't want to pick on someone who was in a probably was in a difficult position, but um, you know, that's a matter of public record that she said it, and I just thought it was a very I thought it was kind of a low moment, honestly, um, for leadership in the league. And things fortunately are a lot better now with Sky Blue. I do think Lisa Baird is a I mean, that's hard to say, but I think Lisa Baird, if she is given the opportunity to actually do the job she was hired for. We'll be good at it. We'll see if that comes to pass or if she'll wind up being a full-time crisis manager here. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was just so bizarre, the different things that kind of sprouted out of that sky blue story. And I thought, to me, that was the low moment and just a very kind of bizarre day and bizarre answer.
0: No, you're right. And it's tough to know the difference between what she was allowed to do and what just got ignored or neglected because we had a similar issue when we tried to talk to Tony Novo at that draft and Correct. you know we we don't know how much of that was directly his fault and how much of that he wasn't being given support by the owners but he made a lot of very similar I don't know if insensitive is the right word or aloof like maybe he didn't quite understand how serious some of those issues were um, and that was that was you're right that was a tough time that was a tough time for the club and I think that was a tough time for the supporters of the club and a tough time for those of us who want to see the league achieve a certain level of professionalism. Um, but you're right, and you know that wasn't you know when we go back to Amanda Duffy, that wasn't the only time that she dodged a question that we tried to get a direct answer to because this is a growing league, it's a new league, and there have been instances in which it's been difficult to get straight answers. She is as a you know from a purely public relations standpoint very good at uh talking after you answer a question and and
1: right. not
0: necessarily answering the question which is part to be fair is also part of that job
1: mm-hmm, um, for sure is,
0: is the duck the difficult stuff but you know for me um and again this is probably a compliment or at least it's meant that way she would often talk about the issue for a few minutes and then you'd go back and transcribe it and realize there was no real answer in there um, so that there's a certain skill level in that as much as it might be frustrating for fans and even the, the media to, to some degree.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there are a few coaches that I talk to and as I'm talking to them, I say, this is he's giving me nothing. And then I go <laughs> yeah. back and listen and I'm like, you know what? That was actually pretty insightful.
0: You know, well, it depends because, you know, I would say Jill Ellis had a similar Skill. Uh, yeah, I agree if you want with to put that. Put it that way that she, you'd ask her a question, and she'd talk for a couple of minutes, and you'd go back and look at the answer, and you'd be like, "That's that doesn't really answer my
1: question." Yeah, exactly. You got one more.
0: Yep, I do. Uh, so the last one that made my top five. Um, this was a kind of a personal one. I I think everybody knows, or at least around uh, close to us knows that I have not had the best travel experiences uh, covering women's soccer. So I had to pick one um i thought i would just keep it to one travel issue so that it's not too narcissistic but um june 2019 the u.s played uh spain in Reims and uh after the press area closed and we had done the post-game show outside the stadium and uh, we walked back to the tram station it was midnight in france and um our, our fearless leader, Jeff Kassouf, uh, did not know enough French when reading the tram schedule to know that it didn't run on Monday nights. <laughs> and so we thought there was one more tram coming through slightly after midnight, and there was not. And we were over three miles from our hotel, and there isn't really Uber in Reims. There was occasionally, like, one Uber driver in the city active uh but there was nobody up on the app there were no visible cabs and after about 15 minutes of frustration i was like i'm just gonna walk it'll only take a a little bit over an hour it was midnight we were starving we were tired um and then luckily enough maybe half a mile down the road a cab just happened to be driving by so we didn't end up having to walk the whole distance
1: but uh It was
0: uh, one of those uh, (laughs) nights of frustration, which were were fairly common on that trip.
1: Hashtag, shouldn't there have been tram service on a Monday during the World Cup?
0: Yeah, right, or some form of a bus or something would have been nice, yeah. I
1: mean, I I remember just being dropped off in the middle of Lyon at 2 a.m., and the city was a ghost town, Yep. and I had about a mile walk to my room, and... I mean, it was fine. There was not a soul on the street. But, you know, this is a foreign city. There's a language barrier. You just kind of figured with the World Cup, you'd be a little bit more taken care of than that.
0: Yeah, and I think the the worst one was in La Havre where the – and Grant Wall did a little bit about this. But, um you know, when we left the stadium, we saw the cab line. And the cab line was maybe 200, 300 people long. And it was – I think it, that was the late kickoff, so I think at that point it was close to 2 in the morning. And you just had all these people who couldn't get back to their hotels or Airbnbs or whatever. And that city is in the far northern reaches of France, so people were spread out very far and having a really difficult time getting home that night.
1: Well, if it makes you feel any better, we might never know who the host will be for the next World Cup, so you might have to... <laughs> Right, you know, buy tickets like like the old days in the final when I would have hotel rooms in six different cities and yeah. have to make sure I canceled them. Yep. All uh, right, let's do a couple of the uh, Twitter ones and we'll get to your honorable mentions. Uh, Brandon Holmes, I was fairly tipsy entering the stadium for NWSL final and literally bumped into Karina LeBlanc. I recognized her and said, "You're Karina LeBlanc," and she delightfully said, "Would you like a selfie?" And I said, "Sure," even though. It was not my intention to bother her for one. So there's Brandon's memory. Congratulations to Karina LeBronc, by the way. One of several, uh, WOSO luminaries to give birth recently, right? Aaron, uh, Wright had a baby and Hope she Solo did. recently announced that she's had twins. And I guess we're waiting on Alex Morgan next. And then, uh, Jonathan Tannenwald and Andy Mead had, a, had an interesting back and forth on our, uh, in our mentions about, uh, the draft. Tannenwald said the first W. Uh, the first NWSL draft, and then I think he backtracked to me in the second one, the shoebox one, which was when Crystal Dunn went first, and that was in Philadelphia, I'm pretty sure. And we were literally, like, we were literally in a fire hazard setup. Like we were in this tiny room, and literally, like there were like ten people in a row, and you couldn't get out of your row. It was It was pretty tight, but it was uh, it was a fun draft because that was Dunn and Ojai, and they were both there. And Ojai had um, Brian Cushing, her brother-in-law, was on site that day. That was the Houston Texans connection. That was the first pick um, ever for the Dash. And then uh, that was on the Red Stars, Big D, Bernardo, and Johnson, who's now Drew Liertz. And that's, uh, you know, two players who are still the focal point. In fact, they got Ojai too now. So they got the second, third, and fourth picks from that draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's in the first NWSL draft, uh, which I was not at, but uh, evidently – uh, this is according to Jeff. The uh, media was put in this side room. There was no media allowed in. There were no players, and there were no media allowed in. So the media <laughs> was actually getting the pics off Twitter because by the time they would relay them the information, it was already live on Twitter. So, um, you know, if anybody ever meets Jeff and you want to get Jeff riled up, imagine <laughs> that tram thing could get him riled up and the 2013 WSL draft could get him riled up. Yeah. Um, and just one more Sony is the hero says I'll never forget the header goal from Michelle Beatos. I was in the stands that night. It was a rough run of games for Thorns FC as most of the starters were away on international duty and we hadn't had a point at home in a while. Everyone was looking for something positive after the goal, the whole team tackled her at midfield. It was an unforgettable memory. And that's certainly I mean, that's one of the top two or three moments I think in the history of the of the NW West. So I think that was the first game after the World Cup break, if I'm not mistaken. It was late at night. It was kind of a dull game. And all of a sudden, everybody in the world who was on WOSO Twitter came out of the woodwork after that goal, including ESPN, I think. Any other uh, ones, John, that you want to mention?
0: Yeah, I'll just run through these. And if you guys have comments you want to throw out, um, I had and some of these didn't make the list because we, we talked about this off air, but... Had a little bit of a, a difficult time deciding what was wacky, and some of these seemed maybe too dark, uh, <laughs> right. to, to be wacky, but, uh, some other ones that I had thought of when we were doing this, the, uh, Tancredi head stamp on Carly Lloyd in the 2012 Olympics, which is yep. probably the single most violent thing I've ever seen in a game. Um, Hope Solo flipping off the Chicago fans in May of 2015, only months after the, a uh, DUI issue with the with the U.S. soccer van that I think her husband was driving at the time. And then that was only a few months after the domestic violence charge. And it was only a month before the team left for Canada. So it was kind of an, uh, a time maybe where a low profile would have been better. Um, Didn't
1: She also flip off fans in Portland at some point.
0: I don't know. I. I think somebody mentioned something in Kansas City, but I don't know for sure. Well, she
1: Canada. had a thing in Kansas City where she was arguing with the blue crew. Said something like, that's why Barnhart will never play for the national team again.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Um, so hope, hope and
1: fan groups get, get get along well together.
0: I had the, uh, the snow game from this past April in Chicago. Uh, you had mentioned the four-hour delay at Sky Blue. The snow game, if you remember, got delayed, delayed, delayed. Got to a point where Arnim Whistler, the owner and Rory Dames, the head coach, were out there shoveling the lines. <laughs> and, uh, it took Brooke Elby, who was then the president of the Players Association to get on the horn with the league and say, we absolutely cannot play. There's ice on the field. Uh, so they did finally cancel that game. It's also one that I remember because you all, every once in a while you see these people who talk about how the U.S., whether it's MLS or NWSL should follow the, European calendar uh, I'd like to invite any of those people to spend a winter or spring in Chicago spring is just like the second winter um, you know it, it rained this week or it snowed this week so you can't do that uh, Boston players drafting players after the league realized the team was going to fold the night before so they allowed the team to draft players even though there wasn't going to be a team yeah, it's and like you know, a
1: retroactive one because we didn't know necessarily that there wasn't going to be a team. We thought it,
0: but yeah. it had actually been decided. Well, then they – from from the best
1: I could understand
0: from Jeff – Jeff Kasuf did a piece on this. Uh, actually, this I think it was like this year, right? He kind of went back and talked to some so. of the players and kind of went through it. And he says the night before in the ballroom they had decided that Boston – they had they knew that the current ownership group was gone. Right. and um, so yeah they allowed him to draft players with the thought that maybe somebody would step in and of course that didn't happen Uh I had the press Lloyd Kerr trade which I think just like we I don't think we realize how blessed we are covering the NWSL right now in terms of how accessible it all is compared to how big it is relative to the rest of the game I mean this would be like Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi and Neymar being traded for one another. It is a massive 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 trade. Um, let's see. And then I had a couple of other travel ones. I uh, I've been locked in a few stadiums or gotten lost in a few stadiums. There was one notable trip to San Diego where I not only wrecked my rental car but uh got stuck in the uh the bowels of the stadium and couldn't manage to get out. And then <laughs> Um, I'm also notoriously bad for uh, figuring out the time changes, and there was a game in Portland that I flew out to watch, had incorrectly calculated when the game was going to start, had gone into a restaurant in downtown Portland to eat, and right after i ordered i was flipping through my twitter feed and (laughs) saw the roster the lineups were being announced and i thought oh my god i have to get to the stadium and this was a preseason game so it was not downtown it was out at the uh I, i think it's the university of portland and um so yeah, I was I missed, that one before. I missed the yeah. first half. I went all the way to Portland for a game and I missed the first half of the game. So well, of the
2: story yeah. is you just don't go anywhere with John.
1: Yeah. Playing automobiles. Yeah. See I had well, Chelsea, you're not much better for travel issues.
2: I mean, there's a couple, yeah, true. But I, I get actually, to the games on time.
1: I actually had one where I had, uh, it worked out in my favor. I had been invited to the FIFA best in London and I declined it. And it was right after the NWSL final in Portland and Kieran Tavum was at the game in Portland and I just, I'm assuming that I would have been on his flight back to London because he went to the event and he wound up getting a flight delay and wound up getting detoured to like three other countries. They actually had to put him up in a hotel in London, even though he lives in London. And he eventually made it, but he had to, like, rent a suit because he was going to go home. So it would have been a whole nightmare travel experience that I dodged by declining that (laughs) offer to go out there. So I've had pretty good luck traveling to these things. You know, France was, I think everybody who was in France had some issue, but I've had pretty good luck traveling to these games over the years. One way or another. All right. I think that's going to be a wrap for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll find another topic to try to get us through. We're on into May. Thanks, Chelsea. Thanks, John. Thanks for everyone listening and chiming in via Twitter. Don't forget, check us out on the web, EqualizerSoccer.com. We'll see you next week on the Equalizer Podcast.